This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our lesson today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Holy wisdom, holy word. I would invite you to remain seated for the gospel this morning as it's a longer one. We will hear... Chapter 15 from the Gospel of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. 
A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands." So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. The parable of the prodigal son is probably the best known of the stories of Jesus. God knows it has inspired so much artwork, so much literature. It obviously strikes a very powerful note in people. 
to understand this parable, we have to understand it in its larger context, and we have to understand who the person is who is telling it. For that reason, I decided to read the whole of chapter 15 and not just the story of the prodigal son because to take it out of context with these other stories is to lose major clues as to what's going on here. It starts out with the problem of the scribes and Pharisees grumbling over the people that Jesus is consorting with. Now, once again, I just want to put my plug in for the scribes and Pharisees. We're so used to thinking them as these dastardly, pompous, fill-in-the-blank. These are the good people. These are the pastors. These are the charity workers. These are the ones whose task was to put the word before the people, to help them in their task of keeping the law and then to make sure that the widows and the orphans were taken care of. These, please, these are good people. They are trying to understand. They are doing their best. But they are having trouble understanding how it can be that the long-awaited Messiah, at least that's what some people are claiming Jesus to be, could be hanging out with people who do not fit into the kingdom of God. I mean, surely the Messiah will stand for something better than this? I mean, well, the example I was going to use was you know, it used to be that a single little moral indiscretion could kill a politician's career. That may not quite be true anymore, but maybe the point stands anyway. Um, so in, in response to this, Jesus tells not one, but three stories. In the first one, a person carelessly misplaces one of his sheep. Or maybe not carelessly, I mean, that's what shepherds do, right? They, they keep the flock together. And this one has discovered that one of the sheep is missing. Now, we can have a certain amount of sympathy with this. We may not be shepherds. We may not know what it is to have a flock like that. But we do perhaps understand what it is to have a cat or a dog. And right now, there is a poster up on all the entrances to our neighborhood saying, Lost Dog. And I feel bad for them because, you know, this dog that means something to them is gone. Well, this shepherd has misplaced one of his sheep. And it's not hard to imagine that although sheep, from what I understand, are not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, we can understand that they don't want to be lost. They are a flock animal. And there has to be at least some little dim light going on of alarm in this sheep's head, knowing that it is no longer with the flock. And so this shepherd goes out to find it and bring it home. One out of a hundred. In the second story, he tells about this woman who has ten 
silver coins. Silver sounds pretty good, except when I look up what this, uh, this coin would have been worth back then. It's worth about a dollar. And um, she's lost one of them. So what does she do? She turns the house upside down trying to find this coin, one of just ten that she has. Well, she finally finds it, and she celebrates. Then we get this story of the prodigal son. A father had just two sons, and one of them has gone missing. We go from 100 to 10 to 2. One of the devices, and I think I may have mentioned this before, that Jesus uses as a rabbi is the device of what I call how much more so. Because that's usually what it comes around to. An example of it would be when he says, um, if it's the Sabbath and your donkey falls into a well, you don't say, hey, it's the Sabbath. i got to wait till tomorrow to get that animal out of there. No, of course you go and you get the animal out. Or to put it in today's terms, if your cat is stuck up on the roof, you don't wait till tomorrow to get it. You get it down. How much more so then when a brother or sister of the faith needs help, needs healing? You get the idea. And in this, he seems to be using this device. And when he says, okay, if you lost just one out of a hundred, you go find it, right? If you lost just one out of ten, you go find it, right? How much more so if a father has just two sons and one of them is missing? That's doing this parable by the numbers. Now let's look at the characters in this parable. We begin with the sheep, who I think we've already established is a somewhat sympathetic character. We can understand what it's like to be a sheep and to be lost and to want to be found. Even that stupid sheep deserves to be back with the flock. Well, in the second story, we get this coin, which doesn't want anything. It doesn't want to be found. It doesn't want to be lost. It just sits there like the stupid coin that it is doing nothing. There it is in between the cushions on the couch and it's just happy as can be. Has no will of its own. Well clearly if it's going to be found someone's going to have to reach in there in the, in the sofa and pull it out. Then we get this son who not only doesn't want to be found, who not only isn't neutral about being found, but actively does not want to be found, who has run away to a foreign land and slammed the door in his father's face, who has gone against all convention and left his family behind with a good riddance to boot. Well, another device that Jesus uses as a rabbi is exaggeration. And we see him using this when, um, for instance, Simon Peter comes and asks him, how many times should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? Well, I don't know about you, 
I don't know if I've ever forgiven the same person three times, let alone seven. Seven sounds like a very generous number. And as I think I've pointed out before, when the number seven appears in Scripture, it's almost always indicative of a lot. But Jesus says, no, you forgive that same person 70 times, seven times. Well, now he's pushed it so far that there's no way anyone could ever do it, which is exactly the point. Same thing with the guy who comes to him asking the rich man who says, how do, I get to, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the law. I've done that. Okay, well, in that case, give away everything you have. Now, it doesn't take much imagination to figure out. If I was to get up here and say, our stewardship campaign this year is you're going to give us everything. You might go away downcast just like the wealthy man did. Which is the point. You can't do it. Or the time when the lawyer comes and says, uh, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, love God and love your neighbor. Yeah, who exactly is my neighbor? And so Jesus picks the person that he hates the most, a despicable Samaritan, and says, love him. Or worse yet, accept him his love. He can't do it, which is the point. This is something that God is doing, not you. Which brings us back to the parable of the prodigal son. Here, each story has intensified until we've come up to the least sympathetic character possible. And here, you may have to kind of paint your own, you know, paint a mustache on this guy or something to, to kind of own who he is. This is the guy who has been making all the wrong choices in life. This is the guy who got his girlfriend pregnant in high school. This is the guy who started doing drugs. This is the guy who is dealing drugs. This is the guy, you know, just make the list. This is the guy you least want to do anything for. This is the guy you most want to stiff arm. And I suppose if I'm going to be honest with this story, I have to realize just how powerfully it speaks to me. Because when my brother was going through so much heartbreak with his eldest daughter before she died. I was the one who kept talking to the family about you need to put distance in between you and her. You need to set boundaries. You need to put up a wall because this is going to destroy your family. And I was constantly amazed at how he could keep pouring out love for this girl who was giving back only heartbreak. Which brings us back to this prodigal son. These scribes and Pharisees, these good people, these ones who are trying to understand, 
If you want to understand who is included in the kingdom of God, then go find this guy. And if your jaw is dropping, that's exactly the point. And how does it end? It ends with the father explaining why it was that he's having this party for no other reason than that this one was lost and has been found. This one was dead and is alive. It doesn't come around to the end saying, because this one is sorry for what he did. Because he repented and came home. Because if you read the story carefully, you'll find that he isn't sorry for what he did. All he is doing is finding a new way to get more out of his father. The reason he comes home is because he's hungry. And so he thinks to himself, well, where can I get some more food? <laughs> I'll bet my dad still has some. This is the lousy jerk who makes all those wrong choices and then comes back and lives in your basement. And so here he comes, and you'll notice he doesn't say to his father, treat me like one of your slaves. He says, treat me like one of your hired hands, and we'll negotiate later. And yet, the father throws the party. Yet the father clothes him Yet the father treats him like a son, not as a hired hand, not as a slave. And this older son just can't get it. And no wonder he can't. There must still be a shred of sympathy in us for this elder son who has tried to do everything right, who has tried to do what the word calls him to do, who has tried to be faithful. And now this guy gets the fatted calf. It's not about morality. It's not about deserving. It's not about fairness. It's simply about family. This kid is your brother. He is welcome here. This girl is your daughter. She is welcome here. For no other reason than she's lost and she needs to be found. He's dead to us and he needs to be alive. And so at any time in the church's history, at any given moment in our being, if we want to ask ourselves, who is the one that we should be reaching out to? Perhaps the question we need to ask ourselves is who is the one we least want to reach out to? Who is the one we have the biggest trouble accepting into our midst? Maybe these are precisely the ones who need to hear about this incredible party going on. A party to which we have been invited and which we have to grit our teeth 
and hold our gorge because guess what you've been invited to? And the table's already been set. The invitations have gone out to come eat and drink because the lost one is found. Because we've been found. But the party isn't over yet. And there's so many more who need to be found. Let's leave the 99 and go out. Let's leave the 10 and go out. Let's not stop until that last stubborn, lazy, prodigal, mean-spirited cuss is finally worn down by the simple, overwhelming nature of God's generosity and love. Amen.